Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Finds Us podcast. We are so excited to have Sherry Theodot today on our podcast. Hi, she's launched this brand actually this year in 2020. One, it is called Tude Beauty, and it is a clean and unisex beauty brand, which we think is truly incredible because we are all about genderless and getting to share males, females, etc. So the name Tude, it is short for attitude, which we are all about the Tude, the attitude. <laughs> she is a first generation Iranian-American, and she grew up without seeing herself in the media. This is not good. This is not good for people's mental health. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the importance of representation. She is hoping to make the beauty industry a more inclusive place with this newly launched brand, and we cannot wait for you to learn more about it. The products are vegan-friendly, non-toxic, allergen-free, cruelty-free, and gluten-free. Thank you for being here. Oh, my God. What an intro. I'm honored to be with both of you today. So do you want to quickly walk us through your resume? What did you do pre-tuned? Oh, gosh. You know, that question always gives me anxiety because I, I would always feel like, <laughs> no anxiety. No, no. And, and, I, and I speak about this openly because I think a lot of other people feel that same way. It's like when you're asked, what do you do for a living? How do you summarize that in a few bullet points? And I think we've been ingrained by society to need to fit a identity fit a profession because that will put us in a category and in a box and in a status and, and whatnot. And actually at Tude, I'm here to say we are all multi-hyphenates, whether you even believe it or not, you are, you've just been conditioned to feel that you just have to be one thing. And so I guess I'm here to say I'm more than one thing. I always have been. I dabbled in a little bit of everything. I'm a mother to three girls, which is the best job on earth to have uh, and the hardest. I am a children's book author. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, oh. my first book is coming out in September. It's called My Daddy Can Fly. Oh my God, that's incredible. Thank you. And I'm a trustee of American Ballet Theater and I'm co-chair mm-hmm. of the diversity initiative there. So diversity and inclusivity is not just something I speak to or, or have a performance about it. I literally live in even uh, outside of my life at Tude. I very much my soul and life's mission to help people that especially had that never felt that they were seeing an opportunity now to have that, to have that sense. I think we all uh, deserve that and it is our birthright to be seen. So I also kind of dabbled as you know, a patron of the art and um, was very much involved in the fashion and art world in New York City and Miami. I don't know. I feel, I feel weird even listing these things. Yeah, I think. no, they're amazing. Oh, please. They're amazing. I know because we're, mom was a ballet dancer. I mean, there's so oh, much, so much there. And the fact that you're actually living it, that's, we had a podcast episode recently with a model and she was talking about like, yeah, it's great to use diverse models in the campaign, but if you're literally checking a box. If that's not authentic, if you're not living it, you don't hire anyone of that diversity of that ethnicity or whatever. It's just people can see through that, or at least at some point, hopefully that will come out. Totally. I actually speak about this. Um, I call, I coined the term curated diversity because I think we're living in a world now where we feel whether you own a brand or you feel as an individual based on like 
the brand that you want to project on your social media that you right. need to be uh, supportive of movements toward diversity and inclusivity. Otherwise you'll be canceled. And right. I like to call BS on that. Cause I think we need to shift that mindset to say, how are we showing inclusivity and diversity? Because that does make our world richer not that we're worried about being canceled. And it's, and when you right. redefine that phrase in that way and through that lens, your actions will be different. So you might cast a model of various ethnic backgrounds, but they all may look the same. They all may have a Eurocentric form of, right. of beauty. Um, and then you're also not looking at like diversity behind the lens. Who are you casting to be your photographer and videographer right. and your stylist and your makeup artist? And at Tude, we're very cognizant of that through our production company, who we choose, through our even who I hire. I will give the role to the best person fit for the job, but I think having all of these unique perspectives is, is creating the community that I, that I always wanted to belong to. Yeah. I think that's, that's brilliant and um, so smart. And we have tried very hard to learn as much as we can. And, you know, with the cancel culture, sometimes we have maybe someone has said, well, you're not doing enough for our group of people. And we're really trying to, be inclusive of all people. And most definitely what I do as a stylist is help everyone feel beautiful and have fun with fashion. And, and especially people, women, as they age, that they're not invisible and that no one is just a mom or just a banker or just, especially women get so lost in all of that. No, I, I really, I really relate to that as, as I am displaying my COVID gray hair. Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. <laughs> I just embrace it all, right? I, I embrace it all. I think I, I drink my own Kool-Aid. I've been right. really living the two values to the point where I have really let myself, in terms of the beauty standards that I even had pre-COVID go. Right. I, I never thought that I would be 41 years old and embracing my gray hair. I mean, no way. Well, the word is embracing though. You know, you're not just like, I give up. I'm so depressed. I'm just going <laughs> to let my hair turn gray. You're like, this is kind of cool. I think I'm going to own it. I love that. So there's something I wrote the other day I, I'm because I love writing and I write poetry, yeah. but I was on a nature walk. I'm out here in Amagansett, New York. So um, uh -huh. I have replaced people with uh, trees and vines. <laughs> And I was on a, a beach walk and then this phrase came to me where I realized the more imperfect I am, the more free I become. And I really mean that, like not feeling a need to go to the hair salon every three weeks so I could cover this. Like I'm free. Right. Yeah. And I choose to cover these grays one day, but that will be a choice. And I think also in this moment of going beyond what has been traditionally shown in the media, I think we also have to give understanding that as human beings, we have choice and we're non-binary in that way. And what I mean by that is that I can choose to have gray hair and a unibrow, or I may choose to shave my armpits and color my gray hair. Like right. we're not just one thing, even in our beauty choices. Most definitely. A lot of times, some of that comes with age, the embracing of certain things. And then a lot of times something like what we've all been through makes you realize, why did I think that was so important? It's really remarkable. Um, what piqued your interest in beauty? I mean, how can you be a woman? And, and now I would argue almost a, a man as well in this country and not right. be interested in beauty. I mean, I think from the second we're born, we're getting messages uh, mm -hmm. about what beauty is, 
I'm born in 1980. So in the 80s and 90s, there was definitely one form of beauty consistently being shown to me, which was tall, very thin, like blonde and blue eyes. And the 90s supermodels is is ingrained in me. And Victoria's Secret magazine came out and like mm. the way those models looked, that was the only thing that was shown to me. And none of those people look like me. And let's be real. I still don't see people that look like me in the media, even in this age of diversity. Or people that look like them. Right. <laughs> I mean, how many, you know, Naomi Campbell's are walking around, right? <laughs> exactly. So, but, th- but that's to say that the beauty industry has always profited off of creating insecurities for us because right. if they create us to be insecure, then they can sell us something right. to cure that insecurity. And it's, it's really understanding where the money is to right. deconstruct that for yourself. That's a tough message to, to withstand. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I think um, to really answer your question, and in addition to being born into it, I think from a young age, growing up in a very homogenous town in Massachusetts, where I was in a sea of blonde hair and blue eyes, I think it was really apparent to me how I didn't look like everyone else. And whether that was subconscious messages about beauty, all I knew is that I lacked beauty because I didn't belong and I didn't fit in and I didn't view my unique features as something that was beautiful because I was really trying so hard to fit in. And I think as a kid, that's all you want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I used to not tell people that I was a ballet dancer because (laughs) it was out of the box. It was weird. It wasn't what the popular girls were doing. It's not my head until, you know, I got to attend Juilliard. Then I was like, okay, I'm not going to be embarrassed about this anymore. (laughs) <laughs> the thing that you're talking about when we asked you about your resume with labels, it's like, okay, as we re-enter into society, if if that is possible at some point it is, that, you know, at a cocktail party, okay, you meet them. Oh, what do you do? Like, that's one of the first, we kind of, we ask these questions to kind of categorize, okay, this person is this, this, and this. So it's, I have been to some events where they're like, do not ask, do not mention, <laughs> do not talk about like what you do and just be people. I know it's so interesting. Right. And, and the irony is now that I started to, it's, I have an easy answer. I can say I'm the founder of two beauty. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. But, uh, <laughs> and then also the thing about embracing it. It's like, if you embrace it and you're confident and you're happy with yourself, as you go out and about that confidence, if, many, many people can do that. It will create the change that we need because you feel beautiful. So they're going to think that you're beautiful as you are beautiful anyway. But it's like how many women say, oh, I'm just a mom. Well, if they had the attitude of I am the mom of three gorgeous girls, brilliant girls, then you've elevated your position or how it's all totally about the attitude. Definitely. And think about it, even as a mom, you can deconstruct that. You can be like, I'm a mom, I'm a project manager, I'm a facilities manager, I am a transportation, like you can listen to I'm a psychologist, you know, yes. like all these things that you are. So why are we not like, you know, showcasing that? Wouldn't that be funny? What, yeah. what do you do? Well, do you have a minute? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Mm. Okay, so what led you to start to beauty? It's a great question. I um, I really fell into it. There was no um, business plan that had these grandiose ideas that I'm going to enter the beauty world. Right. I, 
as you know, I'm a mom of three and my daughters, my first two daughters are quite fair with blue eyes and really resembled the same classmates that I had in my childhood. And when I had my third daughter, who was very much a mirror for how I looked like and how I acted and just like her body shape and whatnot, it gave me this, this beautiful mirror, literally in real life to say, I see her effervescence. I see her joy. I see true beauty in her. I just like, I'm obsessed with her. And why do I not feel that way about myself? Which was this inflection point and really gave me, I think out of love for her and my other daughters, knowing that when you have a mother who doesn't value herself, you really have no chance of a child growing up to value themselves. They really pick up on Mm -hmm. the things that you don't say. The way that you act in society, the way you hold conversations, the way you carry your body when you walk and move through a room. And maybe because she was my third kid. And at that point I had been a mom for, you know, five or six years, I, I knew better. And out of love for them at a point where I really didn't value myself fully, I decided to embark on this journey of, of growing back my unibrow, something I hadn't faced in 24 years. And when I faced it and grew it back, I realized that this was not a scary face. In fact, this was quite beautiful. Um, and I never, I never, and that's very much like how to it is. It's about attitude. And, and that's like when my attitude shifted, so did the way I acted and like my shoulders finally dropped and I, and I had more confidence and, in, in a, in a weird way, like my, my Pandora's box was open. And so that shame yeah. and secrecy no longer held control and hold, held me captive. And so I decided that what I would do with that was to write a children's book. I thought that my form of activism was uh, perhaps people in my generation have may have been ingrained and indoctrinated into feeling beauty is one way. So I wanted to make sure that the new generation had visuals and storytelling that showed a little girl with a unibrow. And then maybe with them, we could kind of help perpetuate new forms of beauty. So I was on this adventure and, and I was not a children's book writer. And that did take a little bit of time to understand the cadence. And as I was writing my first children's book about a little girl with a unibrow, I was coming outside of my second uh, meeting with Scholastic. And I sat with my book agent and I said to her, wouldn't it be really cool if we could bundle a complimentary product with the book? One where we could throw colors and crystals on like the eyebrow and to have like a, you know, a glittery colored pencil. Um, so kids could feel like it's like their superhero mask mm. and that um, that's their, whatever makes them unique is their superpower. And that to me was the messaging and what I kind of wanted to have in this. And you know, how many times do you buy a book and there's like a pen attached to it? So I thought, why not have makeup attached? Yes. And her eyes got like quite large. And she said, I think you're onto something. Very shortly, we kind of looked to license this concept. And then she said, go and build this. And I abandoned my book project. And this was in the summer of 2019. She introduced me to someone she had worked with many years back who had connections to a lab. And that's how I fell into Tude Beauty. And I went in with zero expectations. I never thought I would start a beauty brand. I literally went in. Maybe that's why it's working. <laughs> I, I, I went into a lab to see if I could come up with one product that worked. I had zero expectations. I was not tied to an outcome. 
And I think so much in my life, I've always been tied to outcome and achievement. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, can I come up with a product that does the following? It actually is made with clean ingredients and they're non-hormone disruptive. So someone like my daughters could wear it, but so could my mother. And I don't have to worry about their health. And I think coming off the heels of being pregnant, I knew how much toxic chemicals are in our everyday beauty products. Mm -hmm. So I walked in with like a no list. I didn't know how to make it, but I knew what not to put into it. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to ensure that our packaging was made with sustainable material. And I really looked at the entire supply chain to understand are the products even in the warehouse being made in a solar energy plant, or are they burning fossil fuels and coal? So I did a lot of research to even think about who am I going to partner with to create the packaging. And then also with the outer packaging to ensure that it was made on FSC paper and, and ways. And, and I worked with a plant that actually plants trees for every time I place an order for the packaging. Wow. I think that was the luxury of being a beauty outsider, it's like, how can I create a brand of my dreams? And then making sure that since there was no pressure of me unveiling that I started a beauty brand, I had the luxury of doing the diligence to find out who those people are. And by no means do I have the answers. I just had questions and I just kept digging and digging and digging. And I think what's really cool is even since I started this, I have learned so much where this next round of products that I'm excited to share with you. I can't reveal fully on the podcast, but on June, end of June, we're launching a new collection. I'm proud to say that we even up the ante with our sustainability. That's amazing. The, the story is amazing that the beauty brand came about from the children's book. That's remarkable. And motherhood. Think about it. And like motherhood. It's really and motherhood. And it's the opposite of beauty brands that want you to believe that you, you're not okay unless you use this cream or this mascara or whatever it is, lipstick. Instead, it's like, you are okay. You are so beyond okay. And we're going to have fun with your beauty. So that's wonderful. And I will, and I really come out hard with a stance saying like, I will never invest in creating concealer foundation I think there's all of these very toxic words that we're, we also feel like we're ingrained to like even the word makeup, make over, conceal, contour, all right. of these things are trying to tell us to erase who we are. And I at Tude really believe that I want to only create products and put things out there in the world that allows us to paint ourselves. Cause I really do look at it as an art form to paint mm-hmm. ourselves, however we feel like self-expressing. And so all of the tools that we'll give, will give agency back to the consumers to say, this is how I want to look. This is where I want to put it. And this is the part of the body and, and, and just my identity that I want to share. And we all know that since we feel different, like sometimes you want to wear a red lipstick and sometimes you don't, I think the same thing goes with how you express yourself in makeup. And so why have one look when you can have tools that give you multi looks. Absolutely. Like, like you said, like a, the, your face is a palette and body. Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> sure. As a dancer, you know that more than anything. Absolutely. But very, 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 very well. Do you want to talk about the self love journey or you feel like we already talked about that? Let's talk about self love because I think what's so fascinating is I built this brand is almost my performance art and seeking self-love. And 
I thought by growing in my eyebrow, that would be the first step in, in doing so. And almost like I'm cured or healed. And like, I faced this biggest dragon that was like in my closet. And what's so fascinating to me is that by growing in my unibrow, it actually made me realize that the journey has just begun. So it's been really on a personal level, I've been excavating so much uh, that was kind of buried inside of me that I've been dealing with. I think one thing I would love your listeners to, to learn that I have, I've really come to peace with is throughout all my years of therapy. And I love therapy. I think everyone should be uh, granted therapy in their life and dealing with all of the, the issues that I had of hating myself. I always assumed that by doing the work, quote unquote, that there was a destination and I would be cured and I would be healed. And I think that is a bill of goods that's sold to us. That's not true. And I think that gives a lot of mixed messages to people where they don't, where they feel like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. And so I wanted to come out and say, in, in my own personal experience, I realized that there is no final destination that when I reach a new level of an awakening or a level of consciousness about an understanding of myself, all that does is make me reach a new level. And when I reach this new level of understanding, then a new level of pain also can emerge because then you're viewing it through a whole new lens. And the things that I thought may have been quote unquote cured or figured out, it's completely reopened in a very new context that I need to now deal with through this heightened lens. And so I think the journey of self-love is really just an emotional honesty with yourself to say that this is how I feel today. And oftentimes when I don't feel good about myself, I really sit with the parts of me that are speaking with me. Is it like, for example, gray hair, I'm sitting with fear. Maybe the fear that I was sitting with was that I am expired now, or I'm an old lady and I'm not desirable or like I've lost my sexuality, right? Like there's all these things that kind of pop up that a lot of people don't talk about. And then I kind of sit with them each one by one and deconstruct them and say, well, what if I sat with you fear? Like, what am I, what is the worst thing that could happen to me? Like, what am I really afraid of? And then like, I will slowly meet with that part and, and heal that part but to the, to the newest level that I can, and then something new will, will arise. But I think the point is that through the journey of self-love, we'll reach new levels of acceptance with ourselves, but really be open to this being a very cyclical experience. Very cyclical. And like, I'm 58. And I've had a lot of revelations this year. I mean, it's not like you're going to get to that point where, okay, now I've figured everything out. I'm feeling good. There's no fear. You know, I'm good to go. No, no, definitely not. And just like you said, when you, you have a revelation and then you have to learn how to understand that revelation and how you want to do it going forward. But I think the greatest advice is checking in with yourself. Why am I feeling this way? What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. And then more free. And as you get to be free, you get to be more yourself and, Totally. Yeah. It's a wonderful process. Most people don't know that. No. And they're scared to know. Scared to know, scared to face it. They think I either have to pop a pill or I need to fit in. Yes. Or I live with anxiety, but it's like, well, then how do we help you deal with anxiety? It's because right. you're potentially look at this and it's painful, right. but no amount of pain can taste as good as living 
Absolutely. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about my question. What is a soap brow? <laughs> Great question. What is a soap brow? What did you think? Let me ask you. What did okay. you think soap brow was by hearing the name? Well, I didn't really know, but I was hopeful that what it might be because I have always, my, I mean, I'm older now, so my eyebrows aren't quite so thick, but I've always had thick eyebrows. And any of those brow gels and things like that are just, I mean, no offense to the anyone who's listening who loves them or who makes them, but they have not worked for me. Well, uh, your hope has been granted. Your wish yes. I, I, uh, I look at soap brows as like nature's response to the microblading phase. I think for me, I have really thick brows. So I yeah. didn't know. I also dealt with brow gels that may or may not have worked so well for me. And I thought there has to be a better solution. Also, there has to be a non-chemical solution as well. Our soap brow is made of like vegan vegetable based glycerin soap and they're goop compliant uh, in terms of clean standards. Mm -hmm. You can feel really cool about having your 11 year old daughter wear mm -hmm. brows um, because it actually can completely change the face. I also think it's like amazing plastic surgery, right? If you don't need a Botox lift, you can actually brush your brows up and it actually lifts mm -hmm. your. So that was kind of the thinking behind soap brows is what is another way that you can style fluff accentuate. Right a part of the face that frames you. And then like what you said with your daughter, I hadn't thought about that, but I know, you know, some moms are like, well, I had to start getting my daughter's eyebrows plucked when she was young because they were so bushy. Well, that just sends the message to the child. Something's not right about your eyebrows, exactly. you know? And so instead giving them something where they can, because my mother was the opposite. She was always like, do not let anyone ever touch your brows. So I didn't know anything to do about them, but I think, something that you could even give a young girl to say, this is something that you can do to play and feel beautiful about these brows that you have that a lot of people will give anything to have. Totally. It's like we allow people, we give them a toothbrush to brush their teeth. Why are we not giving them a, to a toothbrush to a brush? Toothbrush. Yes. yes. This is what I call the toothbrush. It's made out of bamboo. We even did a laser cut. Um, so I wouldn't even use ink for this. And uh -huh. this like bristles. I mean, you could break this over your knee and throw it in the woods and it would <laughs> So there's really like nothing, nothing that will harm the earth in, in producing this. We did an IG live with Sabria. She has something called Sabria's Brows on the Upper East Side. I don't know if you know her. No, but she, I know. I know you should know her. And she said the brow is the new lip. Ooh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and she said that both of us had overplucked and to just stop plucking at all so that's what we that's what we've done and now i have my soap brow to to, to make that well, yes work. sherry you understand this it is extremely painful to grow in your brow i'm like it's pitiful right now yeah it's it's not good <laughs> yeah totally and but but i promise you like however hard it is to see those hairs and like want to grab the tweezer and not do it yeah. like in a month or two, you'll be so happy. Then you'll, you'll forget. Yeah. And she yeah. was like, you might've damaged beyond repair. I'm like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, so good. So far, so good. I'm really into this whole superhero thing. I feel like if you're starting with the children young, giving them these messages of beauty, like your uniqueness is your superpower and all of this, this could be a great start. 
oh my gosh, can you imagine? Let's say the younger you went to school and someone said something about your eyebrows or something. And you said, oh, that's my superpower. And you were like eight and they would be and they, what? Like, what? <laughs> I know. I want that. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. I want that. It took me a long time to get there. I know. Imagine with this book and what you're doing with two, there might be young girls doing that. I hope so. That's the goal. That's the dream. And so do you want to talk a little bit about this in Iran? Is it Iran or Iran? You can say Iran. I know. Iran. The, I Iran. Weird with like the I, but it's like um, you, you'll sound like you have a lot of street cred if you say Iran. Oh, good. Iran. In Iran, tell us about like the unibrow and the different in with hair removal in the U.S. versus Iran. It has a very symbolistic thing. Totally. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I'm still like unpacking all of this in and of itself. I, um, I think being a good Iranian girl, or I think, you know, there's a lot of family honor tied to how you act and how you look in the world. And so I, it was like this (laughs) double sword of needing to kind of remain virginal looking, meaning like not to uh, de-hair myself or beautify myself because that means that I'm in um, the market to be taken care of or to be mm. married off. And so it's almost like they send these mixed messages of needing the girls to stay pure and virginal. Mm. And then yet when the time comes to be married off, they go through these like ceremonies to like de-hair and make the woman look in a way uh, that is not how she was born. And so in an effort to make her quote unquote beautiful for her to get married um, or once she is engaged, uh, there's a ceremonial act right before the marriage. And I think what's so interesting is that's such an archaic way of thinking. And it really has to do with like power and control dynamics. And then the irony is once you do kind of, de-hair yourselves, quote unquote. I think Iranians, if you look, are like per capita is like one of the highest plastic surgery rates in the Middle East. There's such a need to fit into Eurocentric forms of beauty that in fact, having this face as an Iranian is rebellious, believe it or not. It's funny. It's, it's, it's almost more accepted in, in America than it probably would be in Iran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though I have a very traditional Iranian look. If you look at the Qajar dynasty from the 18th century, like my face looks very much like the paintings that you would see there from that time frame. And yet this is not a face that uh, adults in Iran want to have. Oh my gosh. That was just so crazy. I was saying when you were talking about the, the same thing, you know, in a different way in America, we were, you know, you, you needed to be the good girl and fit the mold and, Exactly. Boys married the good girls. They might play around with the others, but who were they going to bring home to mother? Lord have mercy. I think (laughs) Allison, you and I had very similar upbringings from a mindset perspective. I really identify with, with everything that you shared. Same. And that's why we both are so thankful for therapy, right? (laughs) (laughs) We could have a lot of discussions. Maybe we will. Yeah, Totally. I have some people from Iran that follow me or send me messages in Farsi on DM. And I have downloaded the, the Farsi keyboard on my phone. Uh-huh. So I can back to them. I had to go to Farsi school for seven years. So I know how to read, write and speak Farsi, which is 
kind of uncommon for someone of my generation born and raised. So grateful that I have that at my fingertips. Do you have some products coming down the line maybe? Yeah, I'm very proud to announce that um, at the end of June, we are launching the first ever one swipe biodegradable glitter in the world. Um, This was a complete labor of love but also love for mother earth and knowing that the beauty industry has contributed so much to pollution. And I never realized that glitter was made of plastic until I entered this beauty space. I had no idea. And I loved wearing glitter all over myself. I was going to launch too, actually with color creams and glitter. And when I was developing this, because I was so hands-on and asking a lot of questions and I understood, how bad it was for the environment because what what glitter was actually made from, I halted production and I said to my team, we have to find a biodegradable glitter. I was told, I got a lot of pushback. I was told it doesn't exist. Lo and behold, after 18 months of, of searching, I found a manufacturer that made the raw material, like the particle of the bio glitter. I found them. I purchased just some of the raws. I went to three different labs and I said, here is a raw material that I would like to use. I gave them a benchmark because I actually had my old glitter made. So I had created formula anyway. And I said, see if you can swap out the glitter for a bioglitter. Now I I thought I would like handed people the keys to the castle. That took close to a year to finalize because the product was so biodegradable, it would not sustain in the base formulation that I had. So this biodegradable glitter is made from plant cellulose. We have a certification where it biodegrades in, in marine and freshwater in 28 days. I think the biggest thing to me is one, I want this to be a message to big beauty to say, if I'm a little brand, And I just stuck to my conviction and I waited and I delayed my launch and I had purpose over my profits initially. Why can't all of us do that? Because we, we, we're running out of time. Um, I think it's all of our responsibility to really honor mother earth and put her first. Um, Because if not, we're all in in, in a world of trouble. Um, And then I think I want to also invite big beauty uh, to ask themselves, how are we making products that are not harming uh, ourselves and mother earth and, and taking a stance and a pledge together to say like, let's work toward better solutions versus just churning out more pollution for the sake of consumerism. Right. I mean, I didn't know till this very, you know, minute that glitter was made from plastic. I don't know what I thought it was little shards of something. I felt the same. I had no idea. And then think, Allison, you're wearing glitter. You're oh, washing it off. Right. Going in right. The drain. It's going in the pipes. It's going in the water systems and killing fish or leaving microplastics in the soil, which hurts the trees. I mean, it's, it's kind of it, crazy to think it about. It is so crazy. And is this the, like the glitter that kids use in art projects and stuff? Is that plastic too? Everything. Wow. I mean, think of the tons, those giant things of glitter. Wow. Well, you, you might, you know, who knows? You might replace all of that one day. <laughs> but I, uh, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of this innovation. And even with our palette, like I didn't have like, 
a thousand colors to choose from because these um, laws are made from the environment. Even the palette is more kind of Ah. reflective of that and more kind of jewel and earth tone based um, because I didn't want to add any synthetic coloring to the glitter. But that's super cool too. You never can find glitter. You're like the little, the little engine that could, the little brand that could. I hope so. (laughs) It is remarkable. Yes. I wish that design could be more collaborative, you know, like, okay, somebody finds out a solution and let's share that instead of keeping it close. This is my special thing. You know, it, it benefits all of us. So we'll mm-hmm. see if we can get to a place where the world is more collaborative. This is literally country to country. And I feel like scientists, like everyone just needs to be sharing information more. Totally. But I think, I think historically we have been, ingrained in in a society that values you know capitalism and and all of our focus is on pulling resources and creating you know revenue for us and we all need money to survive of course we need money right but it's a matter of like focusing how can we create products that are also not harming the earth and i think that shift has to happen yes and this feeling of scarcity feeling like there's never enough. So we have to keep our things to ourselves instead of realizing there's plenty for everybody. And this is important for everybody to know about, you know, so. Yeah. Mm. It's really difficult to come up with something new in the, in the beauty room. Oh yeah. And you've come up with so many things. I think that's the, the privilege of being an outsider. You, I'm not stuck to mm-hmm. a way of thinking. So it's kind of like, what are needs and can I do them? And not even that, like, because they will say no at first, you know, but you have to keep pushing. No, this isn't possible. It's not possible. So do you want to talk about how did you stay strong through that process? Of of pushback? (laughs) Yes. Literally changing and disrupting an industry. Oh, my. I think that's a very generous title. I don't know if I've done that, but that's (laughs) Like, I, I yeah. think so. I mean, it's just the beginning, but let's I think you're doing coming. it right now. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Um, I think what's what's been fascinating to me is like when I first started working with the labs, I did get a little bit of pushback because they were not used to working with right. someone that was like, no, I want a reformulation. This isn't clean enough. And they're like, what? Because they're so used to brands just wanting to go and get the quickest thing. They get the first submission and then they just want to launch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think big beauty, it takes them three to four years. Uh, if they're in a lab right now, it takes them three to four years based on their own regulatory process to get a product out. So that's why timing of things, uh, they don't really invest in looking at the formulations and whatnot. Yes. I got pushed back from the labs and I think they um, got sick of sending me like eight, I got like eight submissions and, and wait till you see some of the new products that I'm coming out. I think you're going to be really stoked because uh, we're going to continue to push the envelope of, right. of of where beauty products should be. And then I think from a packaging perspective, mm-hmm. I would get um, you know recommendations to say, hey, this needs to go in here. And then I said, okay, well, what material was this made out of? Where What was the plant that made this? Did they use solar mm-hmm. energy? Did they burn fossil fuel? And they're like, no one's ever asked us that. <laughs> uh, so I think that was a luxury of of kind of doing it all and also was very challenging to manage every aspect of this, but I think it gave me a really good sense of like areas in which the industry can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, what shocked me the most is like in, from the packaging perspective, almost every single beauty 
brand um, or any beauty package that's available is not good for the earth. Mm. Mm. So things like they may say, well, this is recycled, but then the applicator may not be. And so then mm-hmm. recycling plant won't recycle any of it. Mm. So my hope in all of this and having gone through now one or two cycles of new product development is like now identifying these buckets where the industry can do better um, from formulations to, to primary and secondary packaging and also like distribution and then I want to figure out how can I be an industry leader to help other brands do better there too. I really look at that as a responsibility of mine. Well, that's Thank amazing. You. Because, yeah. You've done the work. You're doing the work. You've figured this out about glitter. It doesn't sound like anybody really knew about that or took the time to think about it. It's interesting because there has been eco and bio glitter um, on the market, Mm-hmm. But there's been a lot of backlash because there was a lot of greenwashing. And I think, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was Birdie or I forget the um, news outlet, maybe it was Covator. They did an article about greenwashing because what happened is people were saying it was bioglitter, but the coating around the raw material was plastic. Oh Golly, good grief. Oh my gosh. So it's it's just like, I guess my 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 final word is to say like, be careful what is marketed to you, because if you really mm-hmm. dig deeper, there's not that many brands really doing the work. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. Well, I think you're definitely going to have a place in the industry to uh, not even to, you know, fuss at other brands, but to educate yeah. industry yeah. leaders and change practices. I think we all need to look at our lens in this way, like sustainability is such a buzzword, but what does sustainability mean? And I think everyone has their own interpretation of that. I really look at sustainability as not just covering up my own footprint, but how am I actually growing and regenerating new resources for the earth? Um, Maybe that's a very mother's mentality because you think about your legacy and you think about your children and you don't want to just take from them. You want to like help them grow. Right. So I really want to look at Tude and our best practices with our manufacturing in that way too, and, and, and really drive the industry to think of sustainability in that way. Right. That's great. And when you, when you know better, you do better. That's the only thing too. I think there's, because of greenwashing, a lot of people are terrified that if they try, they'll still be called out for doing something that they didn't even, they really are trying. So it's, it needs to be more of this feeling of we're going to support each other. And when we learn something, we'll share it with you. And, you know, together we can hopefully make a difference. No, agreed. And, and I think that's what I hate about cancel culture is that right. we all make mistakes. Right. I, I'm here to say, I probably have made a million mistakes in two and I don't know everything. Right. I never will, but I will right. always just like try to be in this continuous process of improvement. So if someone has made a mistake or has, you know, was involved in quote unquote greenwashing, how, instead of shaming them, which is very much the tude message, how are we actually just like learning together and evolving? Exactly. Exactly. We have to just really spread that around. Yeah. Encourage people. Okay. So where can people find you and the products? You can find me on Instagram at my, just my name at Sherry Seadat. 
And then Tude Beauty also is at Tude Beauty. Our, our website and where our products are, school, are sold exclusively at TudeBeauty.com. Mm-hmm. Um, right now we are direct to consumer, um, but we are looking at other distribution channels. So stay tuned for that, um, which is exciting. Very. Um, and then I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things um, that are uh, going to emerge in the next year. So I would love to stay in touch with you and keep everyone posted. Absolutely. We would love nothing more. Yeah. It's really a pleasure to meet both of you. It's, I feel like I've known you my whole life. Same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sherry, so much. This was lovely. Beyond important. I mean, the message is we are just thrilled with everything. We will meet in person this year. Fabulous. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.